You're listening to Red Nation Online. Saturday, June 23rd. It's Tim Vickery and I'm Ian Clark. And one of us is back from BMO Field, the other watching on PVR, but both equally disappointed that Toronto FC once again are unable to hold on to a two-goal lead as the New England Revolution fought back to earn a draw in a 2-2 final. Literally down to the last second, TFC once again let results slip through their fingers. As it's Game 3 of the Paul Mariner era, we go through the result, the transition into the bigger picture of the season, club, and organization as a whole. Always looking forward, we try to figure out where this team is heading in a year that is struggling to show positives. All in the next 45 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. Here we are, back in quotes from BMO Field. I'm not back from BMO Field, but Tim, you're back from BMO Field. I'm back from BMO Field. We're in the park here. It's it's late at night, um, but I've seen. I saw the game. You were at the game, yeah. And uh, like I was saying just before we started, the more things change, the more they stay the same. That's the way it feels hmm, uh, with yeah. Toronto FC. And I, and I'm I'm drawing back to uh, 2010 against Columbus, and we couldn't hold on to that lead. I think it was Hesmer scores the goal in the dying seconds for a 2-2 draw. Yeah. 2011, last year, against uh, Chicago, 2-0 lead. Couldn't hold that on. 2-2 draw. And then last week, against uh, Houston, 3-1 lead. And uh, going into the second half, and they just couldn't hold on. And uh, finished with a 3-3 draw. And here we are again today. And not only was it, this is the third time that we've had a 2-2 draw against New England at home. Except this is the first time New England has leveled the score in the dying seconds, where we were fortunate enough to have that in uh, 2007 and 2000. I would say, uh, I mean, it took a, it was a real emotional roller coaster uh, this evening or this afternoon, watching the game. Um, the um, uh, Toronto had really seemed to have found a rhythm down that left hand side, uh, with Ashton Morgan uh, moving the ball up and then bringing it in. First finding uh, Danny, and then um, later on finding Ryan Johnson, and it looked like you know everything had fallen into place. You know that uh, over this uh, over the course of this week, um, uh, we had uh, Danny scoring goals as well on the road in Houston, and it seemed like and he looked very like he looked a much fitter today than he has in a long while. He had a lot, quite a lot of energy, um, and um, I thought I thought well, this is really positive, you know, and then. The last 25 to 30 minutes of the second half, I mean, that's nearly all of the second half, but <laughs> they just seem to really hit a brick wall and um, were unable to get the ball out of the half and just laid siege to. And uh, Dino, who I was sitting next to during the game, uh, one of the guys in the stands, is saying they're, gonna lose, they're gonna, either going to lose this or they're going to draw this because they just cannot take this pressure. It's, in, it's inevitable that... Um, that New England are going to score. It's just a matter of how many and how quickly. 
and it was uh, you know towards the end I mean there was big boos from the crowd very a lot of disappointment um, to see that, uh, that 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 lead thrown away and I think that this is kind of if you look at um, what happened uh, in Houston as well again having a 3-1 lead 3-1 is uh, 3-1 is kind of like it's a done deal pretty much you know, you, you've got your points in the bag. All you've got to do is hang on, stay organized, stay disciplined, hold your lines and make sure that, you know, you keep the ball as far away from the net as possible. And that's really, I think, if you could summarize what happened tonight, that's where they fell off. The, they went off the rails. They weren't disciplined and they didn't keep the ball far away off from the net. Um, in terms of a man of the match, I would have to say that uh, Kosic would be my choice. Yeah. The saves, the the, the 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 almost for a period it was almost like endless saves that he was providing. Uh, the woodwork helped out a little bit as well, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just inevitable that New England were going to score. We were giving him way way too much space and too many chances. Yeah, and that's I think the I think the stat for the second half there was six shots New England, zero for Toronto. Yeah, we had nothing. Second half we had nothing. We came out and I think I'm not sure, but as a team I think we thought we had it. Yeah, I think we thought we had it, and the moment that they thought they had it, they lost it. You know, they uh, they, and there was one particular play in uh, that I remember, and it was um, the ball came out and it came to uh, De Guzman right at the halfway line, and he kind of stopped, did a three sixty, and then instead of and it was I think there were three New England players in their half, and two uh, Toronto players in their half, um, not including De Guzman, um, so. Instead of taking that forward momentum and like just, you know, sort of piercing through, he decided instead to just bring it back into our own half. And then from that moment, within moments, the ball was being shot at goal. And this was kind of like a slippery slope that they took. I think instrumental in the second half as well with the substitutions. Yeah. Torsten Frings looked exhausted. He looked like he had no game left. Yeah. Um, a lot of people look exhausted in that second half. Well, I think that's probably... I mean, it's probably no fault of the team. Three games in seven days. Sure. Uh, and the temperature of today was pretty hot as well. Yeah. I think it just probably took a toll. Uh, but the, uh, the, um, when, when, the, when the substitutions were made and it all netted out, I think what you looked at in the end was a team that didn't really have a spine. Right. And it kind of collapsed in on itself. Well, I think you look at that. The last podcast we made a note of uh, the midfield of De Guzman, Frings, Avila, and Dunfield and how good they looked, especially yeah, in that yeah. first half. And then you look at the one in the second half, and you end up with Dunfield, Silva, Lamb, which is not as formidable a group as yeah, that it, starting. It just, it just didn't have the discipline, I don't think, and it didn't have the wherewithal. It's like, okay, we've got the ball. What do we do now? Right. It was kind of like, it was almost like panic stations. Yeah. Shit, you know, what do or we not, do? Well, or not enough experience, right? Yeah. And Dunfield is not a player that he has experience, but doesn't have the legs left in him to really be able to sort of take over that role that either Frings or, or De Guzman would be taking on. And I think what you've got now with uh, Frings and De Guzman is a really quite a tidy partnership in controlling that midfield, like sort of stepping, like overlapping with the defence and sort of getting their, they each has got their own zone to work with and, um, and they over, overlap on each other as well. I think once they're taken out of the equation, and you've got a massive void in the middle of the pitch that kind of the defence are left like sort of running, running. And th- this is where it really where I think it sort of started um, getting off the rails was you were seeing lots of long balls and over-the-top balls that the forwards were running for that netted out to nothing. 
and they started getting tired and like sort of you know what are we just running all yeah. we're doing is running and there's nothing left at the end of it yeah and uh so then the team instead started shrinking back into its own half so there was less running and then they just left it wide open for new england right. um, i have to say from new england's uh to credit to new england um, they were under the cosh for a lot of the game um, throughout the pretty much the first the, the entire first half they didn't look like they were capable of sort of um, present, presenting a, a, a regular attack and it was all uh, it was not all Toronto but it was the majority of it was Toronto in terms of that sort of movement of the ball and attacking chances they really regrouped well but I think we allowed them to regroup well yeah I think that's I don't think they it was their I think we they we opened up the door and they ran in and said, "Yeah, sure, fine, we'll have a go. Yeah, we'll keep banging shots at you until one of them goes in, and, and then I'm we'll sure, have another go." And the thing was that leading up to this game that I made a note of was, you know, uh, New England's a team who's been playing one game a week for the last few weeks. They haven't had any midweek games, so the the report on Toronto is out, and they've had a week to prepare on it. Mm-hmm. And I think they knew coming into this game uh, what we had to offer and what we've been through for the last yeah. couple of weeks. And uh, not even to mention that uh, Jay Heaps, the coach in New England, was a player when Mariner was at New England, uh, teamed up with Steve Nichol. So there was a lot of familiarity, and I think they probably had an idea of what was coming uh, with Toronto. And I don't think there's any way... I know we, we, we put out this, this thing of you know three games in seven days, but I don't think you can also forget there was a two-week break yeah, leading okay. into yeah, that. Yeah. And, and to be fair, Very valid. and to be fair, even though Mariner wasn't named the head coach right away, I think we all knew that, like we said, uh, Vinter was a dead man walking for a long time. And I would, I would have expected somewhere before he was announced the head coach, he knew he was going to be the head coach. Yeah. And, but on an operational level, in terms of like sort of turning things around, it may have been, it may have been like sort of a note may have been passed to him like in back channels saying like, get ready. Sure. Or this is coming. Sure. But and, it, and my point, he wouldn't have been able to sort of make any operational or sort of executive decisions. Sure. And, I mean, but my point is that, I mean, they had two weeks before these games happened. I'm just saying, I don't think they can really use... They knew these games. They knew they were going to go through a glut of games in the, in the month of July and could have prepared accordingly. Um, or should be preparing accordingly. Uh, they've got the players. You know, they left for, I guess they can't really prepare for three other players getting arrested <laughs> in Houston and, and having a short bench. But there's certain things that... That's one thing, though, that I am surprised about, that knowing that we had three games in seven days, um, that the players were given permission to, like, sort of basically go out and get drunk and party or whatever. I thought it would have been like, okay, guys, you know, back to the hotel, get some rest, relax, etc., etc. Yeah. We're heading home or we're heading... We're, we're 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 heading home to sort of prepare, et cetera, et cetera. You know, don't you know? Low profile. This team, this team. If this team was a like a, a group of superstars that were winning everything, you know, you could expect sort of like tabloid esque headlines. Uh, but for a team that's sort of really sort of at the bottom of the barrel, I don't think they have any. Uh, I mean, they're almost kind of like a, a sort of a punchline. Yeah. More than they are like sort of uh, something <laughs> to be respected. Um. And that's the thing too. Like you alluded to the the way New England play this game, and I, you know, without sort of, well, actually, more looking in the bigger picture of you know New England, this is a great result. This is a fantastic it's a fantastic result. Fantastic you know, their one in, their uh, road record was almost the same as our home record. One in five, I think Toronto was. One in six, New England was. Now they have a draw. They've stolen these two points, and for Toronto, I think we. I feel like we were talking about it 
the third or fourth game when we knew things were coming off the rails and we're looking ahead of the schedule of like, you know, like DC at home, that's probably going to be a loss. Uh, a few other games, you know, these are going to be lost. And then we circled Philadelphia yeah, and New Philly, England. Philly and New England were the, potential were the points. Two, the two champ- wins, really, yeah. when we were looking at, you know, uh, away to Montreal, the Red Bulls coming here. And, and here we are. I don't know where, you know, there's a lot of people there who are able to spin things in a certain way. Well, you know? let's, uh, let's step back there for a moment. Then um, I think, like, this was um, certainly going to Houston and leading for a while. Um, and then netting out with a point um, placed against the context of the rest of the season, it can be considered a victory, mm-hmm. a point on the road. Um, the fact that we sort of, the fact that we went from being like sort of head and shoulders above and looking like we would have win it to drawing it is in itself disappointing. Uh, but overall, to um, the one of the, the the key things that coming out of this is uh, uh, Danny Kuverman's scoring. Um, and two goals, so it's wonderful, and scoring them early as well. So that's a that's a, a big positive. Um, also, moving into this uh, this game uh, tonight, um, again more goals, which is great. Danny yeah. again, uh, Ryan Johnson as well. You know our strikers, our forwards. You know scoring people goals. People we want to score. People we want to score are scoring, and this is good. Um, so um, probably Mariner will probably be looking at everything that's happened over the last seven days, his first three games in charge, and probably thinking, you know, Kansas City, we lost, you know, and we lost pretty quickly. You know, yeah. they didn't they didn't stand on ceremony. They you know they took us apart. Uh, the game in um, the game uh, in Houston probably you know gave uh, he was probably taking a lot of notes during that game and having a look at it. And then the game today as well. I don't certainly don't think. Um, I certainly don't think he's going to um, turn around and say, "Right, um, this is this is all this is all you know this is all fouled up or what have you." Um, I think he's probably going to say, "Okay, you know, we we have the team we have. Most likely, there's no new blood coming in to sort of you know help us, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So we've got to work with what we've got." And he's probably looking for players in key positions to really stand up and be counted. And the sloppiness that we've we had witnessed this evening, um, and uh, the sloppiness that we'd witnessed midweek, he's probably going to start court, holding people to account. I mean, what that means. I mean, in a in a limited starting eleven, you know, roster, we only have probably eleven to fourteen players that you'd want in your starting eleven. Right. <laughs> and right. one of those is Kosic. Yeah. <laughs> and the other yeah. ones, you know, the, you can name them all pretty much. Uh, there's a few that kind of float in and out, but um, he has very limited cho- cho- chances and uh, choices. And I think it's really coming down to the fact that he needs players to be big. He needs them to do their roles. He needs them to do what they've got to do. I mean, this season is it is what it is. And at this point, there's no. I don't think there's any like sort of you know you know chance of it turning into anything other than uh, the disaster that it already is. Yeah, it may be less of a disaster in the sense that we may get some results along the way but the reality is coming into the game against New York next week is that we're going to be up against quality opposition that those mistakes and those uh, those if we open the door and let New England step in and they can two, score two goals and get six like six to seven shots on target um, throughout the process um, narrowly uh, uh, they could have won the game if they'd hit the post hadn't hit the post um, certainly, New York won't be as uh, forgiving as New England were. Um, it's for uh, Mariner. I think 
um, I think he's going to do what he's got to do. You know, he's going to um, he's going to look at the team, ask people to stand tall, do their job, be responsible for what they do, and hold people to account. He's not going to fire anyone or bench people or anything like that. He's just going to ask them to do the best they can. Certainly, this whole thing with the booze and drinking and partying and getting busted. Uh, it's probably a distraction for him because he probably just wants to sort of get on and run the club as well as he can. Sure, and that's you know I think we can we'll circle back into the into the game and the, and the players at hand. But you know you and I haven't really sat down since since Mariner came on board. We didn't have the uh, you know the breaking news East Side Stand Up podcast that we sometimes would do when you know Aaron Winter was hired. Or, yeah, a little uh, bit a uh, little bit um, sort of hectic the schedule recently in terms of like trying to get everything together to address this. But um, it is what it is, man. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Flip it back. Um, well, you know what I mean. I think that the reality is, Tim is is. I mean, it can't get any worse. And we, we kind of talked about this in the last pod where we said, you know, our Mariner is pretty lucky because he really can only go up. And if he, yeah, if he, yeah, he yeah. can't do any worse than it was. So, um, you know, I, th- I think these first three games that we've seen under him, um, it's hard to, co- to come up with a, a hard conclusion. But a game <coughs> like today. Well, he's doubled the points tally. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Someone, I heard some interesting stat of it being something like. He's earned 67% of our total points on the year. Exactly. Well, he came in with one point, and now we're at three points. Yeah. So. Yeah, we had a one win before, and now we have two draws. Yeah. So there you go. In his three games, he achieved what almost what Aaron Vinter did over over uh, 11. Yeah, sorry, 10. I'm getting my numbers mixed up there. Yeah, so 67% of the points have come from uh, Mariner in, in the course of two matches. Yeah. So there you <laughs> go. Pretty positive. But, um, you know, you, you can only go by what you've seen. And um, I, I'm sure as, as time goes on, you know, things will change up. Maybe, maybe things will get a bit better. But, you know, we're at a point in the season where, like, we've, we've kind of laid them out in seasons past. And even this one, they have to go on, on an unprecedented run. We'd have to see something that we've never seen before in the league. Probably the league has never seen. Yeah. And, I re- and realis- maybe professional football yeah. has never seen. Realistically, I think what we're looking at is we're going to be trying to avoid going down in history as the worst team in MLS history. Uh, I think it was the Metro Stars, New York Metro Stars, yeah. or Tampa Bay. Uh, one of those teams hold the record. I think they only got 14 points or 15 points. They got less than 20 in a season. So I think that's the thing, really, that <laughs> we're, we're grasping at this year. Um, but I'm well, interested. It's certainly been a record-breaking season so far mm-hmm. for Toronto. <laughs> it's true, but I think the thing that I'm looking at is that uh, I don't think confusion is a word, but maybe a little bit of concern of, I would hope that um, that whoever, <laughs> even when you talk about Tom and Samley or whoever's running this team, you know, we don't even know what's going to happen with them in the next six months, a year, a year and a half. When Not a lot, I shouldn't imagine. Right. I think, um, I think probably the new owners of the club, um, and again, remembering um, uh, Toronto FC is a, a, a relatively small slice of the pie. Um, in terms of revenues and et cetera, et cetera. I think they just probably want to, like, sort of just consistency. Sure. Um, I mean, who knows? Um, they may just want to sort of mix everything up. I doubt that because there's so many hands in this game now. Uh, you have Bell, you have Rogers, you have Tannenbaum. Um, I think I think he's still probably involved on some level. Yeah. Uh, probably as a minority shareholder or what have you. 
Um, they're probably not going to, you know, they're not going to be like sort of, diff they're probably going to want the status quo to remain for a while until they can really sort of gauge that sort of the rules of engagement on their side, how they can, who pulls the trigger, decisions, how they're made, etc. Just rewinding a little bit in, in terms of the changes that have happened with Mariner coming on board, I think for a long while, um, Aaron Vinter was kind of like in a, in a boat without any paddles, you know, he, yeah. had, he had no direction to go. He just kept repeating this mantra about the system, the system, the patience. system, patience, the it, system. It's a pity. You know, and all this. And it was really, you know, um, I, I think I don't think any of us were particularly harsh on Aaron Vinter. I don't think I think we were all very hopeful when he joined the club that he would bring some sort of, you know, European panache to the club and it would, you know, and he would develop some sort of, you know, leadership role and respect and, and a winning a winning side that didn't happen obviously right um and i but i think his usefulness within the organization has probably been like sort of negligible for quite a while and i think um the the, the break in games and the, in, the canadian internationals and the european uh cup probably uh, was a convenient sort of smokescreen for the change of um leadership to happen distraction by you know and it and it I think it was it was it was bound to happen what Mariner can bring to this equation like this season uh, probably nothing yeah I think probably I, as I said I don't think that there's going to be like you know money made available to bring in new players we have all our DPs like and um, and for within the roster, there's only so much juggling they can do. There's only within the roster, the actual salary cap funds. There's only a certain type of player you can buy, and really building an uh, an MLS squad is really kind of like a very strategic thing of the type of player you want, and the type of player, a utility player that you can get a lot out of. And he just doesn't have that 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 strategic roadmap in front of him for the rest of this season. He's got the he's got his hand in front of him, and he's just got to play it as well as he can. Right, and that's where I think it's going to come down to man management, holding players responsible, and really getting the best out of them. And I think you're right. I think they're probably, I pr probably you know, there's probably been some presentation put together about like you know his vision for this season and his objectives, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And it's probably speaking to all of your points. You know, just want to get some some reasonable results, not promising the playoffs or anything like that. Just really avoiding going down in history as like the shittest club in in the league ever. Yeah. And um, I think he's going to be looking to his senior players, um, you know, who we all know, to really assist him on that journey to sort of avoid like you know to turn this around into something that the fans can say. You know what? It was terrible at the beginning. It got a little bit better, and there were some points along the journey that were actually pretty okay. Yeah. And hopefully, at season ticket time, um, everyone's sort of memories will be erased, and they'll all re up again and hope for the best next season. Right. I think. I think. You know, as you're relaying that out, what's going through my head, um, and I was think I was trying to articulate was, you know, you know they've they've made a switch to Mariner, but I mean Mariner's been here for 18 months. He was just as much a part as this Vinter experiment as Aaron Vinter was himself, and now Vinter's been fired. So he's part of the. He is the experiment, right? And and I, I think when I'm when I'm looking at this year, I'm looking at the end of this year. I'm just hopeful, hoping that they see that as one and the same. And if we finish the season, you know, looking roughly the same we did last year, 
probably worse that I, I'm just hoping they can they can oh, come this, to this some season sort of would definitely be worse than last season sure but what I'm saying is that I hope they don't say it's like, ah, you know, we'll just give this another go next year, that they don't look ahead to 2013 and, and not realize they've got the coaching situation wrong. They need to get someone with pedigree, someone with quality, someone with a, with quantitative. Or- yeah, but this is, um, when we say pedigree, it really has to be an MLS pedigree. Because understanding these drafts and these contracts and the salary cap, et cetera, et cetera, I mean, and to a certain degree... Uh, Mariner has that pedigree. He's an operator within the MLS and has been for quite a while. Sure. So he understands the system as much as Precky did. Sure. <laughs> well, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> and that's the thing he should, right? But we look at, you know, we, if you want, if we're going to get screw, like start scrutinizing, I mean, we look at the track record of players who came in over the last year. Mm-hmm. Um, Eddie Viator, Andy Iro. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few of them that don't really stand out as taking. I mean, let's be fair. This entire lineup is the worst, has the worst starting record in MLS history. So, this these are the people who have put this team together. Well, there's been two revolving doors at this club. There's been a, a managerial revolving door, and there's been a player's revolving door. So, it's kind of like they're just, you know, it's like scattershot. You know, they're they're just hoping to hit the target at some point. And the real, the golden opportunities they've had to to, to do things well, they've 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 spoiled um so the the and and just purely comes down to sort of talent management more than anything um the revolving door of the manage on the on the managerial level is a really serious issue in the sense that you can't just reset every year your strategy you have to have something that's built on and that's why i was hopeful with aaron vinter was that he was on a three-year contract that he was going to be sort of you know he was going to build something that was sort of long-term and there was, it was going to be stability. Um, there wasn't the massive turnover in players. There was some turnover in players, but it wasn't like a wholesale, like net new team that came in in the preseason, as we'd seen in previous years. Right, kind of this like, year. Who are these guys? You know, right, yeah. Who are they? <laughs> I'm talking about this season. <laughs> yeah, right? this season. So it looked kind of promising from an organizational level that, okay, we've got... A manager that's here, they've inked a long-term deal with him. We haven't seen like all the players go and a whole new lot come in, and we're wondering like what you know, what what's the constant that's through all of all of this. So that was a that was a that was a that was a positive sign that we had. As you've noted, Mariner has been a consistent in that process as well. So we still have the players. Um, we've retained a lot of players from um, 2011 um, to 2012. Uh, we have some of the same leadership in place. Um, Aaron Vinter's left. So hopefully there will be sort of, if if they're, if they're, if Marin is just in an interim like sort of uh, placeholder until they can sort of work out what they're going to do at the end of the season, it's probably not ideal. Um, if he's here, if he's basically stepped into the chair to, to run the team um, for, as a long-term endeavour, then I think that's probably a positive again. If he... However, is he the, is he necessarily the right person to being an MLS insider and understanding the league and et cetera, et cetera? Like, what has he won? What has he proved to other clubs that he's capable of building a side that can like challenge, get to the po- the postseason, start winning games you sure. know, on a consistent basis? And that's you know I think that's part of my issue is that along with Aaron Vinter, I mean he might have MLS experience as an assistant coach. 
But here we are again, uh, hiring a head coach who's never been, who's only been a head coach, I believe, with Plymouth Argyle, mm-hmm. um, but not an MLS, where, you know, the, the, ML, the MLSE mantra is, you know, you're allowed to learn on the job. You know, we pay you for your education. <laughs> and, and I'm yeah. saying that, they, them saying it to them and, and also to us. Um, that's something, Tim, you're familiar with, is saying, you know, we've heard this before, saying we're learning and you're learning on the job and learning at our expense. Well, that's the, the, the one thing about MLSE and Toronto FC is I'm curious, like, have they... It's great. Make mistakes. It's fine. Make, make them. But learn from them. You know, everyone, this is really new to Toronto and it's really new to MLSE. But all these, it doesn't appear to me that they have learned from their mistakes. It's understandable. No one's expecting them to have like come straight out of the box and been this amazing, like finely tuned machine capable of winning everything all the time. We knew it was going to be a rough road, but after like we're now in the sixth year of, of operation, I would have hoped that they would have learned something from those previous five years of operation. <laughs> but it doesn't appear that they have. It doesn't appear that they're like sort of, shit guys at some point like you know we need some stability here yeah we need uh we actually need like so if we want to if the point of this organization is to win cups then we have to have like a cup win inside we have to have a manager a managerial team that has a vision beyond the system you know whatever the system is you know we have to have something that's tangible that's real that the players and the fans can sort of buy into and enjoy and yeah you know <laughs> And I just don't. Sen- know, I don't, just and, don't sense that that's there. And on the, on that note, I think it's perfect. I wish I'd sent you this link before because I don't know if you saw. It. Have you seen the video that that they've produced? That's like come to BMO Field. Mm, no, I haven't. I think. And everyone, if you're listening, it's I, just I, for I think tourists. Should, well, I think it is. It's <laughs> it's quite a piece of work, and um, it's the content's very interesting, and it's clearly geared towards selling tickets to as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. And, and through this one-minute clip, I don't think once they mention, like, the game at hand. No, of course not. It's all about... It's in entertainment. The, it's, it's all about in the stands and, and, you know, how fun it is. And, you know, there's, the support is great. And it's real community. And, you know, it's the best when you buy a lot of tickets with your friends. Things like that. And, and at no point... I think there's two or three little quick flashes of a game. And the rest is all people in the stands kind of, like, cheering them on. And at no point do they talk about winning or, or the sport or tactics or the players that they have nothing like that and that's where that's where I'm, I'm grabbing on your point where I said what have they learned over the last five or six years and it's a shame that especially when we've always talked about you know they were they killed the golden goose you know they were they were given something on a silver platter that they just no one there seemed to be able to grasp in terms of like what it means to have fairly authentic at least in North American standards, I would say authentic football support. And, yeah, it uh, was um, it, it was completely completely organic. You know, people just up up for it because they love football. And um, it's kind of, I mean, we've 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 dwelled on this and mulled on this and chewed this up and spat it out and then put it back in our mouths and swallowed it and then vomited it out. <laughs> we've done everything about this club and this organization. And if we look at like the the rest of this season, it's it's going to be like crumbs. It's going to be a point here, a point there, or maybe a win here or a win there. There's going to be a lot of pain. There's going to be a lot of ugly results. There's going to be, who knows? I mean, I'm purely speculating. There may be very disgruntled players 
who like say, you know, basically this is not for me. Yeah. You no, know, I want out, you know, and who knows what will happen further down the road. But we can't predict any of that. But in how the actual season nets out, it'll be one for all of us to forget, but not forget. Because <laughs> um, if we forget it, then we kind of let them off the hook. And it's kind of, they're, they're allowed to just hit the reset button and say, okay, guys, this time we really mean it. Not like the other times we really meant it. This time we really, really mean it, you know. And I think, like, uh, my hope hey, is... Hey, give us a break. It's a rebuild. Yeah. Didn't they say that before? I don't remember. Did they say that before? Uh, no, we've never said that before. Trust us. This isn't a rebuilding year. This is a re, uh, recalibration. Yeah. <laughs> Transition year. We're transitioning from rebuilding to, to recalibrating. So, any, you know, it's... What happens at the what happens at the end of this year? I think um, it's going a lot of people a lot of people are delusioned now. You know they they're thinking you know why so why do I support Toronto FC? Why why do I do this? Right. You know it's not because they win games. It's not because they're great. You know it's because they're the only opportunity to watch live professional football in in the city. It's, that's it. It's the default. There's the only one available option. So I think a lot of people will sort of, you know, think, ah, oh, you know, I just can't be bothered, you know, spend all that money to go down there just to watch, like, lame football. And you, you know, and this is a... A lot of people talk about, you know, and levels... You end up this with maybe 10,000, 10,000 And this fans, isn't a thing that's unique to Toronto. I mean, this is... Even in, in England and across Europe, you know, you see when you correlate... Um, the, the times that we're in now, like to not get political or social and like that, but, you know, people look at how much things cost. And, and when you look at... Cost benefit. Yeah. And you, and, you, and you look at saying... I spend you know, $300 and I get miserable. I, I can't, I'm, <laughs> can't wait to see when the, the 2013 ticket prices come out because I don't know what they're going to do about... Should give about us a saying, refund. Yeah. <laughs> so it's on us this year, guys. Anyone that paid for it last year gets it free this year because... We're really, really sorry. Yeah, because I mean, <laughs> that's what they should do. Teams in the Premiership are seeing, I'm seeing support drop. Yeah, and, and that's the arguably the best league in the world, where you're going to see the best teams in the world, and, and people are just like, you know what, I can't just afford this. It's an unaccountable league. That's the problem. It's one of these franchise systems that are unaccountable. Mm-hmm. The only people they're accountable to is the people that earn money from them. Uh, there's no accountability. The players, the players are accountable, you know, to a certain degree. The the management's accountable to a certain degree, but as a club, as an organisation, they're not accountable. And it's one of the, uh, and I certainly think um, the only way that it could ever change in, to, in a, to be positive is relegation. Sure. Like a tiered league system. Like if you want to be really shit and fuck everything up continuously, please feel free. Yeah. You're just going to flush, get flushed down the toilet successively until you're irrelevant, you know, and uh, you're playing like sort of other teams in a park on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah, but I don't think um, this is in, as an important an asset to uh, Rogers and Bell that they would, like, think, oh, they just probably just cut it off. Yeah. It would be like a surgical, you know, a surgical, like, extraction. It's like, you know, if it doesn't earn money, then get rid of it. You know? <laughs> you know? I don't think it's, it's, the, it's not ingrained in the community in the same way that the Leafs are. Right. You know, where, you know, if there was, it, it would never happen, but if there was some organized sort of rebellion at the grassroots level against the Leafs and it started hurting their bottom line, that would probably, that would pique their interest. Right. 
you know, if people stopped buying Leafs TV and all this stuff and stopped turning up to the games and they weren't selling and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. But it's so corporate. That will never happen anyway. Right. They sell it out and they, well, s- know- they sell it out and no one will turn up and they still make money because of all the season tickets and the, the corporate entertainment. But you can you can kind of pull from that, though. I mean, Toronto FC doesn't have the also doesn't have the history where people are going to sit there and be like, oh, you know, like my dad took me to games and his dad took him to games. And there's just this real history where I just can't give up on this. You know, if you look at the Blue Jays, who only have roughly, what is it, 30 years, 25 years of history, mm-hmm. and they went through a stretch where they were, <laughs> they were getting that stadium filled one-fifth. You know, there was nights where there was 10,000 people in a 51,000-seater. Yeah. Um, and if that was happening with the Jays, there's no reason why that couldn't happen with... Toronto FC, and, and they yeah, hands. but TV money, man. It's the TV money because if the the Boston Red Sox are playing uh, the Blue Jays, there's money in that. Sure, it's the same as with the basketball. If the Chicago Bulls turn up to play the Raptors, there's money in that yeah. because the Chicago Bulls are huge and they have a huge following. Or yeah. if the Miami Heat turn up to play them, or what have you. But there's not that same. Uh, there's not that same revenue in the the soccer world in North America where they can say it doesn't matter if 5,000 people turn out to watch it the TV money covers everything anyway so who cares yeah you know and I got I gotta say on that point I watched the game today on television on gold TV it's lame eh? it's really lame. I was also I was thinking we should at some point start a segment because we do a few here and there on on what comes up on the TFC website um, you know, Steve has that thing for smoke and mirrors. And then if we ever have to watch a game on Gold TV, I would just love to. Oh, it's I just can't get over how oh, how un- irrelevant a lot of the stuff is. It just it's just you know, as someone who is interested, obviously, in in the in the game, in the players, and what's going on. It's not have, commentary. No, it's just like it's color commentary. Yeah, it's like like background noise. You know, it's not like. Smith passes to Wilkinson. Wilkinson passes to Jones. Jones cutting down on the left-hand side. It's like, oh, and it's a beautiful night here in Toronto, and the crowd, la la la. You know, it's that kind of, you know, and and this sort of, you know, touch touchline commentary, like yeah, you know, it was, a, it was an unfortunate break in that last play that Toronto gave up the winning goal, but they still got a draw. And you're like, oh man, he can't be serious. Yeah, but it's not impartial though. It's not impartial um, in the sense that the commentator is getting paid by the owners of the club. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, has to, he has to put a positive spin on it, like you know. I think um, I think if we look forward to, I mean, there's not much to look forward to, and there's certainly not much to look forward to. Certainly, in the next seven days for the club playing New York. <laughs> yeah. But if we look forward to the next season, um, I don't know. It's uh, it's a hard one to sort of work out what what will change between uh, then and now. I just you know, and I have to stop you there. That that this <laughs> to bring up the point that where we are in the season and we're talking about 2013. Well, it's like yeah, it's, oof. But we're, we're only like we're just about 50 percent in. Not even because Toronto's 40? Toronto's a little bit behind. So we're at, I think we're at game 12 or 13, 34 game season. Jesus, we're in between a third and a half somewhere in there. So. But you bring up let's let's just kind of like as we're winding this down because we've kind of closed we've we've pretty much talked about everything yeah well, that we we would have we, well, we had to air out Sparky we, we haven't spoken in a while yeah you know so, so I think it's probably had to be said yeah 
so the listener gets to get in on our conversation that we haven't had for a month. Um, they'll appreciate that, I'm sure. And um, we got we do have a bit of a tough a tough stretch ahead. But you know what? I'm looking at one of these games, circling a few one of the few games on the calendar. We got Wednesday night in Montreal. I don't like the looks of that. They're in their new stadium. They're kind of clicking. If I'm not mistaken, they beat Houston tonight, four to two. Uh, we have the Red Bulls here in Toronto, and if, like you said, if we can't hold off uh, the New England Revolution, I'm not too confident about New York. But that the week Wednesday after, we're away to Dallas. Dallas is not doing too good. They're sitting at the bottom of the Western Conference, and the last time we played them, three no victory in the Champions League. Um, you know, we, I feel like I'm grasping at straws. But I, I think, think they're, they're all. Uh, I think they're. I th- well, pretty much all three of those games—Montreal, New York, and Dallas—I couldn't say with any certainty that we. Well, New York, I know for almost, almost absolute certainty that we won't win that. Montreal uh, away uh, will be a tough game. Um, um, when we played them in the um, when we played them in the um, the the cup. Um, certainly weren't a pushover at, at Montreal, and it, it was a. I think they pulled back for the the draw right at the final minutes with that Hasley sort of uh, belt-in shot. Oh, uh, Vancouver, you're talking about? Uh, yes. No, uh, I thought Hasley was uh, Montreal. No, Hasley's on Vancouver. Sorry, I'm getting confused. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I can cut that whole. <laughs> um, I think that they're going to be. Uh, I think they will be a handful. Um, and in terms of Dallas, I know it's one that you've circled as a possibility, um, but I haven't seen enough. Um, I haven't seen enough of Toronto on the road, consistently doing well. We did well in Houston, um, as well as as well as a point is, um, but I don't think that you could say, yeah, we're going to go there and do well. I think the future's dark. It's <laughs> unknown. We're in uncharted territory here. The black hole. Like today's game started so brightly and was so promising, and the goals from uh, Danny and uh, Ryan Johnson were lovely, really nicely put together. Showed real sort of attacking news as well, like um, coming in from the wing. Um, but then it just shit the bed. Um, so if we're put in situations where we're in a one-nil uh, lead, um, and then we switch off like we did against a better opposition. And you can see that ending up as like four one, yeah. instead of like sort of two two, you know. So, who knows what's going to happen, man? Well, I think that pretty much. Uh... I would certainly be interested to hear from the listeners, though, um, their oh. thoughts, uh, um, because you know um, other um, other um, uh, perspectives on this are always important. So, if you do have any thoughts about like sort of you know what twenty twelve, the remainder of twenty twelve looks <laughs> like. You can always send an email to have your say at rednationonline.ca or info at uh, rednationonline.ca, uh, or you can hit up uh, hit um, hit up the Twitter feed and uh, and tweet to Red Nation Online uh, there as well. Yeah, we get that now and then, so it's good. So yeah, I mean, uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. I mean, um, I probably I doubt. Our thoughts and your thoughts are probably completely out of whack. So uh, at this did, point, <laughs> <laughs> I think we are really in. Uh, just like um, just as Aaron Vinter was in his paddle boat without any paddles, I think as an organisation we're in a paddle boat without any paddles. We may have, uh, you know, 
we may have a, a chance to go in one direction or the other, but I think that's going to probably be the current rather than intent. I was thinking of throwing a little journey back in on the on the outro, but I'm not going to do that. Do it, Don't man. stop believing. Don't stop believing. Chuck in some journey, man. Good <laughs> I for can't everyone. Do it. do it. I can't do it. Of course you can. Well, I can, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so live and direct from uh, Stanley Park in uh, a very, very warm evening here in Toronto. It's nice. It's lovely. Um, and we haven't seen a skunk. This is a good sign for a park that has lots of them. Yeah, this is, um, I live just around the corner from Stanley Park and there's at least four or five skunks that walk through my front garden every night <laughs> on patrol. Yeah. But anyway, guys, thanks a lot for listening. And uh, so this is Timmy on the north side. Yeah, Sparks on the south side. And we'll be back, hey, we'll be back on the Montreal game midweek, I think. And if not for sure, next Saturday against New York. Uh, that's a late game. We'll be back for that. Yeah. Have a great week, guys. Thanks a